Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Woe to you, Austin. Woe to you, Round Rock. For the mighty works done in you would have been done in New York or Washington, D.C. They would have repented long ago. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for New York and Washington than for you. And you, Cedar Park and Maynard and Pflugerville and Kyle and Buda and Lakeway, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. Sounds a little different that way, doesn't it? There is a temptation for us to box Jesus' words of warning into a narrow historical and geographical context. It's far more comfortable for us to limit their application and their relevance to others who lived long ago in distant lands. We don't like to consider the harsh reality that they are enduringly true words and that we are every bit as guilty as anyone else. Now it's to be fully expected that those who don't believe in a divine and eternal creator to which they're accountable would reject the parts of the Holy Scriptures that don't fit their worldview and their agenda. To the extent that they know and they use the Bible at all, it's usually to ridicule the Christian church and its members for our rampant hypocrisy. They love to point out our frequent, deep, ongoing, and sometimes, yes, catastrophic failures as individual Christians and as the institutional church to perfectly practice what we proclaim to be the essential beliefs and behaviors of our faith. Most often they will claim, usually in ignorance and with complete disregard for the historical evidence, that Christianity is a concocted human religion. They'll say that a small group of deluded Jews merely took some elements of Hebrew tribal beliefs and wove in the teachings of their brilliant and charismatic but naive first century rabbi. You know, the one who was executed for being a threat to the political status quo. From that it was said these followers formed a semi-cohesive ethical system, one that spread from there on through the Roman Empire and that this new teaching found an eager audience among pagans who were desperately looking for hope beyond their miserable lives in a corrupt and sometimes brutal world. And from that, a powerful institution grew, which became the uniting force in European culture and facilitated its domination of the world for the next 2,000 years. It's bad enough that those outside the church oppose the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture. Words that are one and the same, of course, and that they do so so very strongly. But what may be even more dangerous to our faith are those who consider themselves and call themselves Christians, but refuse to hear Christ. We imagine in some ways that they are somehow united with us in our struggle against the unbelieving world. But the fact is they are attempting to tear down the biblical and apostolic faith and to replace it with their own patchwork quilt of theology. Picking and choosing what they will and will not accept from the Scriptures, they harm believers and unbelievers alike by misrepresenting Jesus and leading others astray. 
And so it is, we find ourselves as lambs among the wolves, surrounded on every side. It's enough to discourage even the strongest and most faithful believer. How then can it not discourage us, we who are so weak, so inconsistent, so easily distracted? Well, Jesus tells us how we can be strengthened for our journey and for our task ahead. And he does so all throughout his message to us today. You might recall that a chapter ago in Luke's Gospel account, Jesus had sent out his 12 closest disciples to heal, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And here in chapter 10, he does so again. This time, however, he does not send them out alone, and he doesn't limit it to just the inner circle. He organizes 72 of his followers into a trinity of 12 pairs, that is, 36 groups of two. The mission is much the same, though, and so are their preparations. But this time, Jesus elaborates a bit more. They are not to take money or food or extra clothing. They aren't to be distracted on the road. They aren't to be opportunistic and to seek a better, more comfortable situation when they have been provided for in the place where they are serving. They're to do God's work and to give God's message to the places in which they find themselves. What's more, before they do anything else, their first instruction is that they are to pray to the Lord of the harvest earnestly to send even more people into his fields to reap the many, many souls that he's prepared to receive his salvation. The meaning is quite clear. Jesus by himself could not reach enough people with the message so long as he has chosen to bind himself to the limits of his human flesh. And the twelve, devoted as though they might have been, they weren't enough either. And now, even these 72 are inadequate for Jesus' purposes. He wants more messengers, more healers of body, mind, and of spirit. They need not be reluctant to share God's gifts with those they encounter either. The peace of Jesus' reconciliation, which they are to proclaim to their hosts, will not go to waste. For those who receive it, the joy and the supplies of His righteousness are always inexhaustible. And for those who reject it, it does not fall to the ground. It does not become covered with dirt, corrupted and trampled. No, the word is never lost. It is never given in futility. It is never ineffective. Even when we fail to see any results or any noticeable outcomes, God has promised that His word will not return to Him empty, but will accomplish those purposes for which He sent it. And that's the hard thing about the gospel, isn't it? We don't have the patience of God, either with Him or with ourselves, and certainly not with the world around us. When we speak the word of peace through Christ to the world around us, we want to see things happen. We want to experience people coming to faith. We want to see lives changed and numbers swell. We want to see souls move to give outward responses and see visible, tangible results. When we don't see that happening we begin to have doubts. We think that we have failed or been ineffective. We think perhaps that our message isn't fine-tuned enough to the wants and the preferences of those to whom it is being proclaimed. Worse still, 
we begin to doubt the efficacy and the power of the message or even the love and the power and the interest of God himself. Why isn't he blessing our work, we wonder? Why aren't more people receiving the gifts of forgiveness, of salvation, and eternal life that are offered in the kingdom of God? Well, while disappointment and even discouragement and despair might be a very natural part of our fallen nature, we should not be surprised if we don't always see the results of our labors in God's harvest fields. Sometimes we won't even see any evidence of them sprouting at all. But that's okay. Jesus predicted this. He told the 72 that they would not be received everywhere and that in the rejection of them would be the rejection of God and His Messiah too. You see, that same proclamation of the kingdom of God has come near, well, that can be either a word of comfort or a word of warning. To put it another way, Jesus can be your Savior and your advocate in front of the Father, or He can be your judge. In our corrupted and our dead and our sin state, we have no ability to choose Jesus or to move ourselves toward Him and His offered salvation. That much is clear. Our only spiritual abilities without the work of the Holy Spirit upon us are to reject Jesus to choose evil, to embrace the death and the eternal destruction that we so richly and fully deserve. We tell ourselves otherwise, of course, because our egos want to be in control. We want to have some part in our righteousness. And so I ask you this. Let me know the next time that you propel yourself out of the dark and churning and storm-tossed ocean into the cabin of that Coast Guard helicopter, will you? Jesus summed up our spiritual state when he said to those that he was sending out, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Notice that it does not say, the one who accepts you, accepts me. The world doesn't always hear us when we proclaim the message of Jesus, does it? More often than not, people will close their ears every bit as tightly as they close their minds and their hearts. And so that brings several important questions to the forefront. First of all, are the people in your lives getting the opportunity to hear you as you speak to them of the forgiveness and salvation found in Christ Jesus? Are they being invited to come to this place where His gifts are freely given, week in and week out, especially in the divine service, but also in Bible studies, in Sunday school, and if they have children, in our preschool and our day school? If not, why not? Secondly, if they are hearing about Jesus from you, are they hearing rightly about Him? Are you giving them the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Jesus of both law and gospel, the Jesus crucified for them so that their sins, which are many even as yours are many, may be forgiven them, so that they may not have to face judgment without Him as their righteousness. Are they getting the Jesus that calls us and calls them to discipleship, to sacrifice, to cross-bearing, and to rejection and ridicule by the world? Or are they getting some sort of generic, watered-down, 
Americanized pop culture pseudo-Jesus. One who doesn't offend, but is just an encourager, a moral compass, and a source of life discipline so that they can have their best life now and to hell with them for eternity. Thirdly, is your journey to the places that Jesus sends you each day undertaken in trust that He will fully and generously provide for you? That He will give you all that is necessary to sustain this body and life? Do you accept what He lays before you, taking only what you need and returning the rest to His work? Or do you cling tightly and ferociously to the money bag, the knapsack, and the sandals of the material and monetary things of this world? Not only carrying them with a tight grip, but constantly seeking to upgrade to a larger money bag, a more stylish knapsack, and the designer named Sandals. God prospered the work of the 72 in prompt and dramatic ways, but it may not be so quick or so obvious when you do it. But like them, you can return to Jesus over and over again, rejoicing in what He accomplishes in you and through you, even when it's hidden. With His powerful Word, you cast out demons in His name each time you communicate the forgiveness of sins to others, and each time you remember the work that He has done in you by your baptism. Satan is cast down like lightning from heaven each and every time God's absolution is spoken. For the evil one cannot stand in the Lord's presence and accuse you of what has already been eradicated and expunged from your record. Your loving Lord and Savior has given you much over which to be thankful and in which to rejoice indeed. A plentiful harvest of needful souls that you encounter each day. The provisions and hospitality of His bountiful creation so that you do not have to fret over the status of your money bag, your knapsack, or your sandals. The peace of His reconciliation, which you may freely share without fear that it will be depleted from your own life. The Word of the Kingdom, which has not only come near to you, but even now dwells among us in our midst. The power to cast out the demons of others and the casting out of your own demons through the power of forgiveness for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. But the greatest of His gifts and His promises is the joy of our assurance of life eternal. You are lambs among wolves in this world indeed, but the one true unblemished Lamb who suffered and died for you and was raised again is also the good and powerful Shepherd. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, for all things are under His authority. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom ours remaineth. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.